the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. In the 14th chapter of Romans, Paul begins by separating the Roman fellowship into two categories, the weak and the strong. And whether you consider yourself to be weak or you consider yourself to be strong, it does not change the truth of what Christ has done in you or the potential that he's placed in you. The same is true for them. Those who were weak were those whose conscience would not allow them to participate in certain things that the Scripture was silent on, basically. Things that we would call non-essentials. Things we would call non-moral. And you'll remember that the Roman fellowship was made up largely of new converts, both Jewish and pagan. And the Jewish had a lot to get over. Most of us have not been raised in the Jewish culture, so we don't have a full understanding. But it was even more so then than it is now. It was more than a religion. It was a way of life. It was heritage. It was how they understood living. It was their history. It was their society. So it could be understandable that these Jewish believers, these new converts, would be slow to make the transition. There's a lot that they had to set aside. Things that we know now and under the new covenant are non-essentials. All of the rules about cleanliness, different types of meats, and and what days we can and what days we can't. All of that was summed up and done away with in Christ, where he met them all. And most of those, by the way, were written by rabbis. They weren't written in in the Levitical law. There was like 613 of them. But the Jew who had lived his life to those things, Paul being one of them, had spent every day basically knowing what he was going to do that day based on his religion, based on his faith. Now he's received the life of Christ. He has been saved out of that culture, so to speak. And he knows by what he has been taught, or he understands by what he has been taught, that none of these things are essential, yet he cannot bring himself to let go of a lot of these things. Now... Paul says that it's a matter of conscience for him. 
as long as he's not looking to these things to attain righteousness, it's a matter of conscience. Because they are neither good nor bad. They are non-moral, non-essential things. These are not the things that the Bible distinctly declares as sin. On the pagan side, these guys have been living in idolatry all their lives as their fathers before them. And they had some things to get over as well. The family barbecue that was highlighted by the good meat that they got from the temple, meat that had been sacrificed to idols, now was grievous to them, to some. And then the festivals and parties that they used to attend, where, which were characterized by drunkenness and debauchery, now grieved them, pained their memory to some degree, that may it cast a shadow over the small glass of wine that they might receive with their supper. So you can see, there's room for this weakness. There's room for this hardship. Now, as they begin to look at the non-essentials and the things that they would not let go, there was comparisons, there was criticism. And these are an issue for us today, comparisons and criticism. The thing we've got to understand is that we are all in different places in our walk. If you had issues with alcohol in the past, you may be wise to abstain from it. If you had a problem with lust, you probably want to stay away from the public beach in peak season. There are some self-imposed restrictions that we put upon ourselves, and this is not sin. This is prudence, as we restrict ourselves in order that we not be tempted, in order that we not be grieved. And for each one of us, those things are different. We shouldn't make judgments. We shouldn't make comparisons. Now, Paul writes about this in the first part of the 14th chapter, and we're going to continue in that today. The thing we need to understand is that the uh, issues that we're dealing with in the 14th chapter are not issues of sin. What are they? They're issues of baggage. And we don't know what the baggage is. You know, some people may come into our fellowship and and God may or may not allow you to have a peek at their baggage. But Paul gives us a rudder to operate from. He tells us how to live amongst one another. That we are to live not to what we consider our liberties or rights, but we are to live from who we are in Christ which is to live in love, which is to love one another without comparisons, without divisions. The new creation has perfect liberty in the non-essentials of this world. However, we are still clothed in flesh and do carry its inherent weaknesses. So all of us may hold ourselves from some non-moral or non-essential practice. For you, it might be wine or tobacco, or it might be television or certain associations, but we all have certain areas of abstinence that we maintain by choice. The point that Paul makes is that we are not to judge on these issues. We are not to be judgmental or critical of our sisters and brothers, because when we do that, we have overstepped. 
We have put ourselves in the place of God. And as you get into the 11th, 12th, and 13th verse, you see Paul talking about God made us for himself. It is God's place and God alone to judge. Only God may judge. The truth is that when you as a Christian judge a fellow Christian, you're second-guessing God's judgment. Because you, as a Christian, have already been judged by God. Every one of you. And you know what the penalty was for your sin? Death. God operated outside of time, looking out through eternity, seeing every sin and every mistake that you would ever make, every failure, every rebellion, every disobedience. He saw it clear and He looked out upon it and He said, there can be only one penalty for this kind of sin. It must be death. So... Outside of eternity, He sent His Son to the world in the front of all. In one place in time, He stood on the earth. In another place, He stood in eternity. And He took all of that sin from the day you were born to the day they laid that body down. He took it all upon Himself. God has already judged. And Jesus paid the price. He paid the penalty. Are we going to second-guess God in the lives of others? Are we going to try to render a second verdict? We are not to be critical of those who have self-imposed abstinence. As children of God, we live to the Lord. And we reckon that all children of God live to the Lord. We're not to see each other according to the flesh. As I mentioned last week, if you make a judgment, you've made it in the flesh. You have. You've made it in the flesh, and what are you judging? Flesh. Exactly. Is that the truth? Do you want this to be the sum total? I'm telling you that the sum total is already within you. This should be an expression of the truth within. We don't judge according to the flesh. We don't judge. We see people as God sees them. Let's look at Romans 14, verse 13. Paul writes, Then let us no more criticize and blame and pass judgment on one another. Rather, decide and endeavor never to put a stumbling block or an obstacle or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now that then, or depending upon your reference, it may, uh, it may say therefore, is referencing back to what he had said in the previous verses about God and God alone is qualified to judge. Regardless of whether we're weak or strong, we stand and we stand by Him alone. Now remember verse 4? We looked at that last week. If you back up to verse 4, it says, For who are you to pass judgment on and censor another's household servant? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He shall stand and he shall stand. And be upheld for the master. The Lord is mighty to support him and make him stand. He says he shall stand. He's not saying he might stand. He's not saying if he does what's right, he'll stand. God, again, as Susan pointed out, is making a declarative statement that you, child of God, shall stand. Nothing can make you fall. Will you fail in the flesh? Yes, you will. Will you sin in the flesh? Yes, you will. 
But what God has redeemed in you, what God has set forth as His own and perfected in you, shall never fall. It shall never fall. It is not going to slip through His fingers. Now we look at this picture and this is God literally holding Holding us upright as his own. In the same way, you've seen Peter hold those babies up. Well, he's not as, as uh, precarious as Peter is. But he holds on. He holds on and he, he holds us in place. And he keeps us in place as his own. And presents us in this way. We are made to stand. Now, the point that he's making is this. That regardless of how you view your brother... It is God who's holding him up. It is God who's... Now, we're talking about non-moral issues. We're talking about a brother who may not have the freedom to have a glass of wine while you have a glass of wine because he has an issue with that. And you might make a judgment on him. You say, that brother doesn't have any liberty in Christ. Look at that guy. Poor guy, he needs more faith. And God looks at him and says, you're talking about my child. You're talking about the one I am holding up. Can you believe that if he doesn't take a drink, he doesn't take a drink for me? Can you believe that? That's what God says. Don't make a judgment. Don't be weak in that respect. Regardless of where we're weak or strong, he holds us up. Here's the other thing that he says there. He says that he makes him stand and supports him. And the question I would ask is, do you see yourself in his hands? Do you recognize that you are in Christ? If you recognize that you're in Christ, if you recognize that you're in His hands, you'll find the judgments drop. The minute you own that, you'll find the judgments drop. Why? Because you recognize that you're not your own. That you're held by someone else. The judgments will pass away. Because you're not in a position to judge. You know, in Christ, you're not in the position to pass those kinds of judgments. I'm not talking about spiritual discernment. There's a whole different topic. I'm talking about that judgment. All right. Again, the one you may propose to judge on some non-essential is, in fact, supported by God. He is supported by the vine as a branch. And as you are supported by the vine as a branch, you share the same life. You don't want to separate from that life. Paul says in this verse, he says, no more. In other words, this was an ongoing issue in the church. This was an ongoing issue among the Romans. There were judgments being made. There were separations being made. And he says, you guys need to determine to endeavor. That means make it an ongoing effort to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of your brother. This is the way you should live as a Christian family. But here's what he's saying. You have to choose this. You have to choose this. You have to choose not to be a stumbling block. You have to choose to put your brother's good above your own. Now, some of you may find that a little stifling. But those of you who have children or have had children recognize the concept. You have to move the boiling pot a little further in on the stove. You have to make sure your child or whoever's around you, or when they're around you, that they don't run out in traffic. You do these things for that child's protection. Now let me ask you a question. Do you feel hampered by that? Do you feel restricted by that? 
Does you feel like it's taking life away from you? No. In fact, this is part of your expression of love towards your child. This is you doing what you were made to do. You are parenting. Well, in the same way, God says, love your brother. Don't place things in front of him that might cause him to stumble. And the Greek there is literally somebody doing this. Putting something in the path for you to fall over. Now, he's not talking about unintentional things. You may have made a joke about your mother and you didn't know that his mother was tragically killed the day before. I'm the kind of guy that stumbles into those kinds of things. But that's not intentional. He's talking about you knowing the weakness of your brother have determined by your own choice that you are going to go forward in your liberty whether he likes it or not. He just needs to grow up. No, you need to grow up. Because this is not about your liberty. This is about loving your family. Loving your brother in Christ. So, he says, determine. Well, you have to make a choice. What does that mean for us? Every time you see that kind of thing, you know that Paul is telling you, or telling those Christians in the letter, he's saying, this is something you have to mentally make a note of and say, you know what? Put it before the Father and say, Father, it's not my heart to cause anyone to stumble. Make me more sensitive to them than I am to myself. Make me selfless or cause me to live in the selflessness that you created in me. Cause me to live in a selfless way. It's a conscious choice. You must determine to love your family in this way. Romans 14, 14. He says, I know and am convinced, persuaded as one in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is forbidden as essentially unclean, defiled, and unholy in itself. But nonetheless, it is unclean, defiled, and unholy to anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, this verse has been manipulated a thousand ways. But I will tell you, all you have to do is look at the context in which he's speaking, read the whole chapter, And you'll understand clearly that he is not saying that sin is subjective. He's not even discussing sin. Not in the direct way. He is not discussing sin. He's discussing non-moral, non-essential things that the Bible specifically does not address as sin. That's what he's discussing. Further, he's speaking to Christians about Christians. That's the context. So if you're reading something else in there, you are taking it out of context for your own reasons. Okay? Here the thing is, he is making it, giving a testimony about his liberty. The testimony of his liberty in Christ. Now, he knows this, that this statement is a very declarative statement. He says in, in so many words, I know this experientially. I know this. You won't budge me off of this point. Well, remember who Paul is or who he was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, one that lived to every jot and tittle, one that walked the line as straight as a mortal man could walk it. He lived to the law, and God separated him out, and God did what only God could do. God liberated him in Christ, not only 
in his spirit liberated him, but liberated him in his mind so that he could embrace the full liberty of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Liberty in Christ does not give you liberty to hurt or harm or hinder a fellow brother. Liberty in Christ, let's just lay it out for what it is. It is the full freedom to live into everything that God has placed in you. It is the full freedom to experience the fullness of who He is. Nothing is going to stand between you and God. That's liberty. Nothing you're going to do is going to separate you from His love. That's liberty. You were made for love, and you have the ability to express love. Every standard that was set by the Scriptures, by the Word of God, for man to meet has been met in you. You're no longer having to try to live to something you can't live to. That's liberty. That's liberty. If I came to you, and you were a person who enjoyed just drawing stick figures, and you love to draw stick figures, some of you do this during the sermon, I know. You draw stick figures, and you play with stick figures, and it's something you enjoy doing. You have no problem with stick figures. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to pay you $100,000 a year if you will sit around and draw stick figures. Would that give you some liberty? Huh? Do you think you might be free in that? Well, what God says is, live to me. Live to the truth. Live to who I am. Love me. Express my love. And I am going to put all of that in you. I'm going to give you a heart for me. I'm going to give you the mind of Christ. I am going to empower you that you might express the fullness of who I am. I am going to cause you to live supernaturally. Not supernatural in a sensational way, though that may happen, but supernatural in a way that will literally transcend that fleshly body you're living in. The world will look at you and can't figure you out. Because you will do things the flesh is not capable of. Why? Because I have made you that way. And here's the thing, guys. If you will just live to the truth within you, if you'll just walk in the truth that you have, you'll be blessed. But I want you to know this. It's because of who you are that I love you, and I'll never change that. And if you'll just be who you are, recognize that you will experience liberty. You will experience liberty. And by the way, it doesn't matter. Either way, one day you're going to join me in heaven. Either way. But you want liberty? You've got liberty. Now that's what liberty is. Liberty is not me enforcing my fleshly rights. Liberty has very little to do with this temporal earth. Very little. Liberty has everything to do with our full expression of who He has made us to be. He is giving a full testimony of who He is. And yet, as he testifies to this liberty, we know that in Acts chapter 18, Paul was the one that took a Nazarite vow and shaved his head. So, you know, here's the thing about Paul. He had the liberty to live outside of it, or he had the liberty to live in it. 
But it wasn't about the law and it wasn't about the ritual. It was always about the witness of Christ in him. It was always about Jesus. Paul had complete liberty to accept or reject the non-essentials. 1 Corinthians 9.22 Paul makes this testimony. To the weak, wanting in discernment, I have become weak, wanting in discernment. That I might win the weak and over-scrupulous. I have, in short, become all things to all men, that I might by all means, at all cost, and in any and every way save some by winning them to faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the goal? To exercise his liberty? (laughs) No. He was willing to be weak to those who are weak. At all cost. That the greater good might be the revelation of Christ. You see, for Paul in every relationship, the goal is the revelation of Christ, not to exercise his rights. Paul is not living man-centered or walking after the flesh. The liberty that is his is his in Christ, so it is exercised in love. He says he is convinced as one in Christ. That's what the verse says. So the source of his freedom is his being in Christ. It was being in Christ that set him free. But for those who are weak in conscience, the greater good is to abstain or withdraw from certain non-essentials. Why? Why would that be the greater good for the weak? Because if they went forward, they would feel that they had betrayed their faith. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship, but we need to let you know that we have moved. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. in our new location, is 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.